tonight on Arena. We preview The Consultant, starring Christoph Waltz, and we review new albums from Gorillaz, Ron Sexsmith and Caroline Polacek. Five one double five one is the text. You can tweet the program at RTE Arena. Christoph Waltz, winner of two Academy Awards for his roles in two Quentin Tarantino films, leads the new series from Prime Video. It's called The Consultant. After a tragedy involving the founder of a profitable gaming company, Waltz's character, Regis Patoff, enters to right the ship. He is an expert businessman. He's also pretty good at manipulation. But his claim on the company is a little unclear to its employees. Soon enough, he's calling them at all hours of the night and asking invasive personal questions that some find themselves, be it charisma or mind control or whatever quality that uh, Regis has, they make the, they feel compelled to answer. In short, we are dealing with the boss from hell here. Dave Hanratty has been watching The Consultant and he's with me in studio now. I suppose if you're looking for typecast for The Boss from Hell, if you think back to Inglorious Bastards and, and Christoph Waltz walking across that hut, I even get frightened as I think about it. He, he really could do uh, The Boss from Hell without moving an eyelid. It was just when you mentioned there about how there are employees who are so intimidated by him that they do in fact get out of bed at four in the morning to go to work or whatever and he has that thing where he just talks them into it mm. and I was thinking yeah I don't think I could refuse either even though he's this wonderful actor that we all know very well he has the intimidation factor and yeah is he typecast is the question this show is hinging entirely on your feeling about him as an actor mm. now you talk about his Tarantino roles I rewatched Django Unchained this week he's you know he's the good guy in that versus the bad guy yeah. in Inglorious Bastards two wonderful performances and they you know this is an actor who'd been around for a long time before this but those roles brought him obviously Oscar Gold as you mentioned and international recognition now since then and I know he's played a Bond villain but in quite a messy couple of Bond movies mm. the question is does he still have it and if you've seen him do this kind of shtick once um, have you seen it all? That's right. what the show was kind of biting at. And that is what you're going to answer for me before 17 minutes past seven this <laughs> evening. <laughs> that's the plan. Okay, so as we th- that's that's the kind of the background on Christoph Waltz himself. But I watched a little bit of this today. I couldn't get to watch all of it. I had a technology nightmare day. You know, one of those ones. And um, what, what I got, I started watching. This is a kind of a kids program because it starts off innocently enough with a group of school kids visiting this gaming factory and finding out what coding is and who makes what and who does what in a gaming in a, in a gaming company. And then what happens? Uh, yeah, and we, this is the opening scene, so we can yeah. say this without, without too much spoilers. Uh, one child pulls out a gun and shoots dead the CEO of the company. It's a genuinely shocking opening sequence, and I myself was quite taken aback by this because it starts off with this jovial almost tone, this music yeah. that's kind of very heightened music in the background, showing you the pace of this kind of very cool, like the office they all work in is this very cool Google-esque kind of, you know, neon lights, glass floors, busy video screens everywhere. It's a hipster gaming company. And then that happens. And I was like, oh, okay, that's what we're dealing with. This is, in fact, an adult show. And yeah, Christoph Waltz then shows up after this tragedy occurs. And everyone's like, who is this guy? What does Mm. he want? Sharp-suited, playfully charismatic, as we know and love him, perhaps. And he's sinister as hell. Yeah, like like it is. (laughs) And he's called Regis Patoff. I don't know who came up with that name 
And, and I don't know why it's such a brilliant name, but it is a simply brilliant name. It's also one of the kind of seeds that are planted here, mystery-wise. Like, I don't want to say too much about it, but there is a moment where you kind of go, oh, okay, that's why he's called that. There's lots of little, like, this is a thriller. It's a dark comedy, like a biting mm. kind of satire of capitalism. It's a bit of a drama as well. And it's only eight episodes, half an hour each. I've watched all of them. You know, it's, it's all out now on Amazon Prime for, you know, for the weekend. If you want to take it down yeah. in one go, it does move very, very fast. Yeah, half hour episodes have, have their advantage, but we might come to whether that's an advantage or a disadvantage a little bit later on. However, let us get a sample of just <laughs> the nature of Regis Patoff as played by Christoph Waltz. Here he is addressing the companies of Compware. Compware is the company that he is now in charge of after the mysterious death, not the mysterious, after the sudden death of the previous CEO at the hands of a gun fired by a young child. So here is Christoph Waltz speaking to his now new employees. Good morning, comrades. Unfortunately, Mr. Sang cannot be with us today, but he sends his best regards to the wonderful faces I see below, thank you for being an important part in Compware's success. I'm looking forward to getting to know you all personally. You're valued. And for those who work remotely, you have exactly one hour to get here in person or your contracts of employment will be terminated. That's all. Christoph, no, I almost believed him when he said you're valued. I totally believed him when he said, "If you don't get in here now, your contract is gone." Yeah, you get this great visual there where all those, like everyone's on these kind of work from home screens, Zoom kind of screens. They're all familiar with now, of course, yeah. and they all just go off one by one as these employees race to get in on time. And he's serious about it. He's a serious guy. Um, yeah, this is a puzzle box kind of show as well. Like there are mysteries being planted here and there. A lot of it is, well, what's really going on? Who is this guy? Yeah, how did he manage to find himself in this position? And is he in fact telling the truth? And obviously, it's not all, as in, it can't just be Christoph Fouls all the time. There have to be people around him who are going to do this, help us do the investigating of who Regis Patoff is, etc., etc. And there are two main players, really, in that. The character of Elaine, played by Brittany O'Grady, and the character of Craig, played by Nat Wolf. Yeah, they're really good. Um, they are kind of like young, you know, hip, cool 20-somethings who are good friends. There may may or may not be a romantic angle with them in the past. It's kind of hinted at. Uh, Craig, who played by Nat Wolf, is this kind of engaged guy. He's a coder with the company. And, and by engaged, you mean actually fiancé? Yeah, sorry. He, yeah, <laughs> yes. he, he is a supportive fiancé in the background who's a bit distrustful of his relationship with this Elaine character. The I Elaine, wouldn't blame her. <laughs> the Elaine character is, um, she's the was the assistant to the now departed CEO, or as she calls herself, a creative liaison, which is like, which is to be fair, is reflective of this world. And like, yeah. there are all these kind of made up titles that we give ourselves to sound cooler and put on a CV. And she's looking to kind of either climb the ladder or find a better job. But the two of them are immediately entranced by this character. They're the first ones to encounter Christoph Falls. He shows up in the middle of the night in a full suit mm. in the building and it, again sinister and they're just thinking what? who is this guy what's going on how do we uncover this and over the course of the show it's a case of how far will they go to accomplish this mission and will they sell their souls in the process Right, and I suppose part of that it, it kind of starts does it look or am I, look, am I going too far into it because I know it is a dark comedy does it start to look at the 
I suppose, the ethics around the whole gaming world, the business of gaming? Does it look at that? Because there certainly are discussions about that uh, from between Elaine and Craig, the Brittany O'Grady and, and uh, Nat Wolf character. A little bit. They're making these kind of like games specifically for mobile, like for m- mobile video, whether it's, you know, phone mm. or iPad or whichever. Yeah. And like they talk about the idea of microtransactions and how it's a business unto itself. And they don't apply a lot of moral coding to the coding that they physically apply to the games. But that's more of a background thing. Again, again, it's like right. you'll see them like just kind of dot dot dotting it with these games. But it's the real games that are being played. Of course, are more much more behind the scenes. Yes, yeah, they're not they're not virtual. They're actually got to do with what's going on in the company. But let's listen to one of those um, typical discussions. Uh, not too uh, kind of as you say, not too heavy on the philosophy, but perhaps just kind of water cooler moments in some ways, aren't they? Like, this is Elaine, uh, Brittany O'Grady, and Craig uh, Nat Wolf discussing their roles in the gaming company. You ever think about how if the devil made him do it, then, like, what does that make us? Cigarettes make you cough. Coke rots your teeth. TV makes you stupid. You've been playing video games your whole life, right? Yeah, since I had thumbs. And did you ever go on a killing spree? Did I ever go on a killing spree? No, not yet. But I, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not 30 yet, so who knows? Not 30 yet. There you go. Um, Brittany O'Grady as Elaine, Nat Wolf as Craig in a scene there from the consultant. And even as we listened to that, uh, Dave Hanratty, I, I said to you as, as we were listening to the clip, first of all, you can feel the chemistry that's there between them. And there are seriously beautiful people working everywhere in this company, it has to be said. Yeah, it's honestly kind of distracting at times. This is a very well cast show from a photogenic point of view, but the mm. actors are up to it. Uh, Nat Wolf has, has appeared in kind of random things over the years, and mm. his brother's actually, uh, Alex has had more of a kind of a trajectory, I think. But he's good in this. He 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 is this kind of just on the right side of not being too slimy. Like, you, you do root for this guy. The real starter and beyond Christoph also, I thought, was Brittany O'Grady. She was previously in The White Lotus, an actress I wasn't terribly familiar with, but as this kind of morally conflicted Elaine character, you do she's wonder where she's going to go. To yeah, no, yeah, because, like, it doesn't... I think it, with the Wall situation, it plays enough with him. It, it, it the camera takes away from him every now and then and goes to these other people. And you don't, you simultaneously want to spend more time with him, but they're right to put him in the shadows at times. And I do think that the supporting characters are up to it. And even like, I saw an interview with Nat Wolf and he described working with Christoph Waltz, he described him as the LeBron James of acting and how he was so intimidated to be around this great, great actor. And apparently after one of the takes, Christoph Waltz said to him, in that Christoph Waltz way, he said, today you were, and he paused and a chill of anxiety ran up Nat Wolf and Christoph Waltz said today you were exquisite and he was like thank God he said that because he yeah. said the other thing <laughs> yeah. and that's in the show as well you can tell that these younger yeah. actors have a clear respect for him and I guess it comes down to are you okay with Christoph Waltz doing the Christoph Waltz thing are you a bit tired right. of it if not you'll binge the show in the weekend yeah, because I mentioned the 30-minute episodes. Now, the 30-minute episodes are great at one level because if you're busy, you can watch 30 minutes. You don't have to sit down for the hour-long episodes and you're thinking, why isn't this episode just shorter? But is there enough time in 30 minutes to develop a full idea, to you know, to give a story arc that, that's enough for 30 minutes or do you effectively have to watch them back-to-back? Um, well, I did watch them back-to-back for the most part. I, I watched four in a row and four in a row and I, I, I thought the pacing was so strong that it kept me going with that. But at times, they almost throw too much in. Like, there's times when it, like 
some mysteries don't get paid off quite well. A lot of the show is about the payoff. A lot of these shows in general, these kind of, like I say, these puzzle box thrillers mm. are about the destination, not quite the journey. And you need to have, like, does it stick the landing? I'm obviously not going to go into spoilers here or yeah. anything, but by the end of the season, I was kind of left with a bit of a, oh, okay, I wouldn't have gone there myself. I thought you would have went somewhere else. But like it, I think the, the um, runtime suits it anyway. So. Right, runtime suits it. So you're recommending it effectively? I liked it, yeah. I've seen some people, like, it's definitely getting mixed responses, but I think that there's just enough here to warrant the recommendation. And I think the writing is sharp enough. It could be sharper. It's not quite as biting as it thinks it is at times, but I did enjoy the Christoph Waltz right. performances. So. All right, that's Dave Hanratty talking to us about The Consultant, which is available on Prime Video. And he has finished it. 10 seconds ahead of schedule, for which I thank you profusely, Dave. You're very welcome. Exciting times these days at the Crawford Art Gallery. Their building on Emmett Place in Cork will be 300 years old next year. Originally founded as the city's customs house, it will undergo a radical two-year refurbishment and extension from 2024. A new exhibition, Site of Change, Evolution of a Building, opens next week and explores the gallery's history. In the meantime, the show Ryark Perspectives in Print mines the Crawford's own collection and 100 years of printmaking with exhibiting artists including George Gerard, Nigel Rolfe, as well as Pablo Picasso and David Hockney. Here to tell us more is Christine Leach Crawford in our Cork studio. As and as ever, we will tweet images as we go along here. And Christine, to start out, I'm actually going to tweet uh, an image of the proposed new building on Pope's Quay at RTE Arena if you want to see the image as Christine speaks to us about them now. Um, uh, Grafton Architects are in charge here of this major renovation, Christine. What do we know about the, the plans for the building? Okay, so what we know, um, as you said, it's Grafton Architects. Um, The planning permission went in in November 2022 um, and all going to plan and if it all goes forward, um, the gallery is actually going to close at some point in 2024 and it will be closed for up to two years while this work happens. So it involves a major refurbishment of the 300-year-old building and a very large new extension as well. And um, from what you've seen and from what is available, is it an exciting looking take? I mean, certainly that uh, the image, the, the artistic impression that I'm looking at right now, it's kind of space age and exciting to look at. It is exciting. Um, you know, for me, it's funny because I think when you look at a building um, and you see changes to such an old building, as you said, mm. it's 300 years old and it was originally the Custom House, so it was designed with a different purpose. It has a very long history in the city of Cork and, of course, it was once the Crawford um, School as well. So a lot of artists um, studied there before it became the Crawford College or the Crawford Gallery. So mm. the Crawford uh, School moved in 1979. So it's been the Crawford Art Gallery since 1979. Um, and it did have a, a big extension built in 2000, um, which gave new exhibition space upstairs and downstairs. Now, the upstairs space has always been somewhat problematic in terms of showing art. So I'm really interested to see what will happen with this new design. Um, it's going to move the entrance back around to the front of the original um, custom house building. So it'll have that really um, dramatic um, classical entrance. And then there's this big, um, they're calling it a loft gallery, which is a very tall tower, essentially which is, is um, going to be centred in, in, right in the middle of the site really and it's going to come up from the centre there. Um, it's going to have these large glass walls um, and it's curious to see I, I will also be interested to see how art will be displayed in yeah. this space because it's going to be also a viewing platform 
to look at the city. So interestingly, um, visitors to the gallery will be able to look out at the city from right up there, very high. I mean, it's taller than the tallest part of the Cork Opera House building, if people know the city well. Um, And also you'll be able to see people through the glass from below as well, looking in at the people in in there. So Ah. it'll be very interesting. And another aspect of it is that it's going to have a new learning centre. It's going to open up all of the public spaces. And it will also allow, according to the plan, different viewing points onto the current sculpture galleries. So that'll be interesting. You'll be able to look down on the Canova casts as well. So that's a a lot, a lot to look forward to. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, And and, and as I said, um, at the moment then, we have this show, uh, Sight of Change, which seems so right for what they're at at the moment in many ways. And I'm going to tweet an image here, which gives you a sense of, I suppose, where the city was back 300 years ago um, when when this building was first put in place. John Butt's view of Cork from Audley Place, 1750, is what we're tweeting now on at RTE Arena. Not quite the space age, that image that we had in, in our first tweet, Christine. Well, but I suppose it's a, just a different era. It, it was probably space age in its own day. Well, that's from 1750 and um, it's this very panoramic view of mm. the city from right up at the top of, um, of Patrick Hill um, and actually if people remember the Young Offenders um, series that's that's where they are at the beginning of that they're looking down in the city from up there so it's mm-hmm. that view um, view of Cork from Audley Place um, that's obviously a very classical um, image of the city um, and it's a, it's a painting that people who are regular visitors to the Crawford will know well because it's one of the iconic pieces in the Crawford collection so the show is going to include that it will also include images of the Custom House and other works from the collection and as well a piece that I'm really excited to see again which is by Danny McCarthy, who's a Cork artist, um, and the piece is called A Keeper of the Dust for Joseph Boyce. Um, this is one of those really interesting mm. pieces that has a long history with the gallery. Um, it was actually commissioned for a show um, that happened in 2011. Um, will I tell you the story behind it, Sean? It's, it's, quite, it's quite convoluted and also it's interesting. Danny McCarthy is a performance artist and a sound artist. Um, the story goes back to 1974. Um, the German artist Joseph Boyce was touring Ireland. He had an exhibition in the Hugh Lane Gallery and he visited Ireland a lot um, during the 1970s and he gave these lectures in various locations. And as part of his lectures, he drew on blackboards. And this is what he did. He he drew as he talked. He outlined his ideas and his visions and all of that. And... Um, in a lot of places and in most places those blackboards were kept and they went on to become artworks so some of them are in the Hugh Lane Gallery collection um, interestingly when he did a lecture in Limerick they didn't have a blackboard and apparently they turned a table sideways for him to work on and that table was wiped down afterwards now what happened in Cork was he came and gave his lecture in Cork and the blackboard was wiped clean after the lecture so Cork did not have this blackboard remnant of the lecture <laughs> But what also happened, and this was something that was kept secret for a long time, is that a young man who was Danny McCarthy um, was at the lecture. I think he was 24 at the time. And he collected the dust um, from the gallery, from the Crawford, where where the lecture happened, collected the dust um, off the floor and kept it. Now, another artist called Sean Lynch put together an exhibition in 2000. and Oh, no, actually, he came across this story in 2007. Mm. He went and found Danny McCarthy and he took photographs of the dust. Now, a lot of people at the time were saying, ah, who, you know, is this really real? Did somebody really keep the dust? And Danny McCarthy had kept himself anonymous at this time. But later on, Sean Lynch curated an exhibition called A Rocky Road for the Crawford and that was in 2011. And 
And at that point, Danny McCarthy made himself visible. He said, it was me. I collected the dust. I have the dust from Joseph Boyce's blackboard. Wow. And he decided to do a performance piece where he sprinkled the dust back into the gallery. And that's been recorded in photographs, which are now part of the Crawford collection. Oh, so that's, the a piece, su- that's a super <laughs> story. story. But the piece that we're talking about here, A Keeper of the Dust for Joseph Boyce, mm. is a piece which will be part of this exhibition. And I think it's really interesting because the notion of Danny McCarthy hanging on to that dust for decades yeah. and then sprinkling it back into the gallery and photographing it as a record of, of bringing the dust back, I suppose, and the idea of that erased artwork, which was the blackboard. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, one of the things about the Crawford Gallery is it is such an old building that it really has its own particular smell and feeling. And there is a dustiness about it. And anyone who's familiar with the Crawford will know that when they yeah. walk in there, it smells like the Crawford Gallery, you know. And so I think there's this lovely interaction between this physical space, you know, the ancientness of the building and these interventions with the artists along the way. And and of course, it it, it, does, it really does give us a sense of the history of the building, which is what site of change, evolution of a building, This the current exhibition, it opens next week, doesn't it, on March, the, on the 4th of March. March 4th, yeah. yeah. It really gives us that, you can see right back to that initial image that we had from 1750. Presumably we see some stuff from the 1800s and the 1900s as well. Uh, so we do get that evolution across a series of artworks and, and, and even the chalk dust, which I, is a brilliant story, I have to say. It's a great story. And of course, it's disappeared now into the floorboards. So the yeah. dust is gone, but it's recorded in oh. these photographs. So the dust went back into being part of the building. Yeah. And I suppose that's also really interesting that the building contains these memories, that's, these silent yeah. footsteps, these gestures that have happened over the years, you know. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It hasn't disappeared at all. It's there. It's, it's part of the building now. In the building. Let's talk about um, uh, the show Ryark, which is on at the moment. Uh, obviously, Ryark, uh, the Irish word for prospect, view, scene, field of vision, you know, c- kind of covers all of that. Yeah. This is a uh, hundred years of print that we're getting a Ryark of yeah, this is a really nice show actually, and it's it's not it's not too big a show, um, but it has quite a wide range of artists in it. Um, and as you said there earlier, we've got um, works by Picasso, um, Miro, um, Christo. Um, we've got also works by contemporary Cork based mm. artists like Fiona Kelly, Debbie Godsell. Um, there's a lovely trio of works there that are hung together, which is uh, George Rouault's um, uh, print from 1922, and I won't give you the French title but the title of it translates as The Society Lady Fancies She Has a Reserved Seat in Heaven. And <laughs> great title. It's <laughs> a great title and it's a woman in profile um, yeah. and it's a really beautiful image um, but it's hung next to um, another um, print by Otto Dix which is from 1961 and that's subtitled A Girl With Light Hair or A Girl With Darker Hair and that's an, anon- an anonymous um, model but right. again another woman in profile and right next to that is Debbie Godsell's well, image. Well let, let me tweet the God- Debbie Godsell image as, you, as you're telling us there. This is, because I was going to say to you, this is is another lady in profile, isn't it? At RTE Arena, Debbie Godsell, lady, uh, simply called lady this work um, from 2002. Just maybe describe what we, we have here. Yes, it's a woman in profile. Not quite just a woman in profile, not, Christine. Not, not what you're expecting. So yeah, this is called Lady. It's from 2002. Um, so Debbie Godsell has here, she's got her model posing. She's wearing an oversized ear, possibly another oversized ear on the other side, but she's in mm. profile, as you say. And she has a joke shop elephant's trunk um, uh, 
tied with elastic around her face. So she has this elephant's trunk uh, where her nose would, would be. So it's this very kind of um, humorous image. It's kind of clowny and that actually also goes with some of the other images in the show. There's a Picasso clown there as well. Um, but it's also making a comment on the male gaze, on our ideas of beauty. It's sort of subverting what you might expect. And to see it there in, the, in a row with the Ruo and the Dix um, image, um, it's just really nice juxtaposition of, of those three images across time. And I think that's one of the things that this exhibition is pointing to, the use of printmaking techniques and a huge variety of printmaking techniques over um, over long periods of time. So it's really interesting mm. and good to see that. And, and Crawford has done a lot of really good um, print shows in the recent past. Um, and of course, of course, Cork is home to the Cork Printmakers, which is um, a printmaking yeah. membership organisation. So there's a good relationship there. But there's a great um, collection of prints in the Crawford collection. Yeah, I'll tweet another one just before we finish up because it kind of brings us full circle, if you like, back to a, an image of the city itself. This is Joy Gerard, uh, untitled, but it's of the Grand Canal Basin, 1999. Yes, this is actually Dublin. So, um, all right, this, this is, is yeah, I've got, there Canal, you go. Exactly. When I said Grand Canal, I was thinking, is this Cork there or Dublin? Go. Yeah, nothing yes. that straight. No rivers that straight in in, in Cork. It has See, to be said. And the Cork people are showing images from Dublin. So there you go. So all very <laughs> altruistic, isn't <laughs> altruistic. it? So this is Joy Gerard um, from nineteen ninety nine. As you said, it's untitled Grand Canal Basin. It's a very large carborundum print. Um, it basically shows you a very elevated perspective on Dublin's docklands. Mm. Um, it's a, quite a dramatic aerial view of the dock and it's really a stark black and white image. It has quite a painterly feel to it. But again, it, it's sort of um, relating to that that map making idea, that sort of ways of looking at landscape yeah. and all of that. And it's one of the really striking images in the show as well. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's a yeah. great variety of work in the work show. Um, the Crawford is actually really packed with art at the moment. They have um, another show which is pulling works out of their collection, um, which is probably one of the best showings of collection works I've seen in the Crawford in recent times. Um, so right Right now, I know we're saying they're going to close for up to two years, but right now it's absolutely packed full of great art. And I suppose there's a great sense of taking stock before this big move forward that they're building the renovations and the extension that that will be involved there. I would say so, yeah. yeah. And also, I mean, a feeling that, you know, you want to get in there now and have a look at it and and get get a feel for the place, you know, um, before it disappears for a little while. But I think it will come back bigger and better. Um, It'll be really interesting to see what this does for the building um, and for the Crawford. Um, And I, I I think it'll be a dramatic intervention on the skyline of Cork City as well. Yeah. Well, it sounds very exciting, Christine. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts uh, with about it with us this evening. That's Christine Leach there. And uh, the various exhibitions that Christine was talking about, Ryark, Perspectives in Print, is at the Crawford Gallery until the 21st of May. Site of Change, Evolution of a Building, runs from the 4th of March through until the 12th of November. And you can find out further, further details and what you need to get to see before those renovations start up on the website, which is crawfordartgallery.com. And so into the final half hour of Friday evening and time for our new album releases. Alan Corr and Louise Bruton will be our guides to virtual band Gorillas and their eighth studio album, Cracker Island. American singer, producer, songwriter, Carolyn Polachek. Her dark exploration of love is in an album called Desire, I Want to Turn Into You. And Ron Sexsmith's latest offering, Vivian Line, which references both a railway line 
and of course a little bit more metaphorical as well in talking about crossing over points uh, or a crossing over point in life. We'll start with gorillas. however. Uh, Cracker Ireland, Dibbon Alburn has taken time away from planning this summer's Blur reunion to plan to pen a new Gorillaz album. Stellar lineup of collaborators, eighth studio album from Gorillaz, cartoon band created by Alburn with artist Jamie Hewlett back in 1998. Here's a track called Skinny Ape. There we have Skinny Ape from Cracker Island from Gorillaz. Um, Valen, for a band formed uh, with the intention of having a dig at, man- at manufactured bands, yeah. they've, they've kind of lasted, haven't well, they? Well, they've proved incredibly durable. Just hearing that they formed in 1998 gives me grey hairs there, Sean, to tell you the truth. Uh, mm. the, you know, famously, as a commentary on the cynicism of manufactured pop, and after all, old pop mm. is manufactured, I suppose. This is the cartoon band. This is their eighth album. Uh, so, you know, musical polymath Damon Albarn and the illustrator Jamie Hewlett would have started this as a bit of a gag, as you say, but good Lord, they yeah. sold a lot of albums. They've had far more success than Albarn's other band, Blur, and they've just come back from a world tour. They played 24 countries in front of, what, 1.4 million people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're delivering they're the drugs. Right. They're doing all yeah. right. And I suppose, Louise, it's always been, it, it's not just the two of them, it's who they bring in as collaborators as well. Who have we got here? Thundercat, Stevie Nicks, who yeah, else? Yeah, Stevie Nicks, we got um, former Amy Winehouse backing singer Adelaide Omateo, and then we also have Tame Impala, Booty Brown and Bad Bunny, and also Beck is on the closing number, which is a gorgeous kind of like spaghetti western cinematic piece. Yeah, so uh, I mean, this is always the question with gorillas. Is there a gorillas sound or is it Damon and whoever happens to be with him at the time? I think what made them brilliant originally was that there wasn't actually a gorillas sound and that was all thanks to how much they used their collaborators yeah. and the kind of unexpected um, kind of genres that were being mishmashed together and just having all of these unexpected verses jumping out. But now I kind of feel as if all of the collaborators are falling in line with what Damon mm. Albarn expects. So we have some features that kind of disappoint and one of them is the Stevie Nicks collaboration Oil where she doesn't sound at her nixiest um, <laughs> and I just feel like it's a real waste if you if you have She's Stevie underused. Nicks get, yeah. get that white witch magic going. Yeah, yeah. Um, he said, Alburn has said here, um, Alan, that cracker has various meanings in the mm. US and he sees Cracker Island as an echo chamber of the alt-right. Yes. What is, does that mean? Well, and I, did, did you hear that? I th- if, there, if there is a universe, a unifying concept on the album, it is this kind of stab at kind of the tyranny mm. of the online world and the rise of the right over the past, uh, what, six years since Trump and Brexit and all that kind of carry on. So it's it's not exactly a new theme. It, it does mm. preach, maybe preach a bit, but it does it in such a way that it's kind of more melancholic than, than preaching, I think. I, I think, that, you know, it's, it's very good. There's one song that the tired influencer where he talks about it's a cracked screen world and Damon has a duet with Siri 
who was like Alexa, the, you know, the, the online yeah. thing where you can speak and all the rest. And with the rise in recent months, of course, with, of, a, of AI intelligence uh, that we've read about quite recently, it is, I suppose, a very pertinent theme. Yeah. Uh, but it's not a universal theme. There's a lot of songs in here that have nothing to do with that whatsoever. Skinny right. Ape is the best thing on it. You just played that. Right. And uh, that's just picking up on those different aspects. I suppose in, the, in Skinny Ape that we played, is it an Amazon <laughs> delivery <laughs> robot that is that he was having? It's yeah, about the sighting of it. It was a sighting <laughs> of an Amazon yeah, robot in yeah. LA. Now, is this is the concept stretched a bit far here, or does it hold? Well, I would argue that maybe he didn't leave the house at all to to write the, the lyrics. So there there was this thing of he's a very well travelled man. He's mm. gone to different um, galaxies to write songs in his brain, but now he's just kind of like looking around his house and going, "Oh, well, okay. that's terrible. This is terrible." It was recorded in LA. Oh, is his house a possession island? I wonder because that's the title of the track <laughs> I'm about to play featuring Beck. I wish people could see the smirk that came across your face, Louise Bruton, as you listened to that uh, lyric, Pearly Gates Remain Open, from Possession Island, uh, from the new Gorillaz album, which is called Cracker Island, and that particular track features Beck. How much or how little of a fan are you of this album as you give your final judgment on stars, Louise? Um, I'll give it two stars, two stars, because I think it's just an expensive bore. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you really, it was that, yeah? It had its moments, definitely, but I just kind of feel like what's the difference between a Damon Albarn project and a Gorillaz project? Because this, what, there was this big fantastical world and now it just is very humdrum with the occasional star appearing. Okay, mm. so you were saddened. I, I think you're. You I, I liked it a bit better, I think, yeah. than, than Louise. Uh, I think that songs like Skinny Ape and uh, Baby Queen and Possession Island there with Becker are, are very, very good. This is a lot shorter, it's less sprawling, it's yeah. less confusing than previous uh, Gorillaz albums. It's only 37 minutes long. I thought it was rather good. All right. Okay. And you were giving how many stars? Uh, three say? and a half. Three and a half. Yeah. So two to three and a half is the difference of opinion there for Cracker Island and Gorillaz. Let's move on to um, our album number two, her album number four. Um, the her I'm speaking about here is the former uh, half, one half of the indie band Chairlift, Caroline Polacek. She's released her fourth studio album, Desire I Want to Turn Into You. That's quite a title. She loves a good title. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't trip off the tongue now, to be fair. No, but there's something initially quite jarring about Caroline Polacek. But once you kind of step into this world of influences that she has and her way around language, she's quite, um, she's got a very kind of poetic grasp on, on lyrics, um, which gives you a bit of time to simmer over what it is that she's saying. And she goes to great depths without kind of making it um, pretentious or... Uh, I don't know, mind-boggling. But yeah, she opens the album initially with um, Welcome to Paradise. With this, well, welcome, oh. Is it Welcome to My Island? Oh, welcome to my, yes, Welcome yeah. to My Island. Oh my God. And just the influence of Dolores O'Riordan. Yeah. And there's a very kind of Celtic mm. 90s grunge element to it. Yeah, let's, let's have a listen to Welcome to My Island. But you mightn't be too, you might want to think twice about visiting the island if you listen to the lyrics carefully. See the palm trees waving the wind. 
Yes, welcome to my island. The opening track from Caroline Polachek's new album, Desire I Want to Turn Into You. Welcome to my island. You don't like me, you ain't leaving. This this, this is Hotel Kyle California brought to whole new levels, that, isn't actually. it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the intro. That's the first song. It starts mm. with this moonstruck area and this primal howling. But then it, then it does something quite different. It switches into this kind of digital bubble bath. It's yeah. kind of techno sounding thing, you know. And I, I think that lyrically... She has a real sense of mystique about her. You know, the, the lyrics are quite striking. Uh, some of the songs sound very upbeat. For example, uh, one song is a jumpy Spanish guitar part and I turn right and left instead of turning left. And it's about mm. a sleepless night. It's about how she's kind of like uh, so overcome with desire. There's another song called Crew Drawing of an Angel. Uh, it's got this kind of zoned, outspoken word interjections coming from left, right and centre. So she's got a real sense of intrigue about her. Very inventive uh, uh, work, I think, you know. And, and Louise picking up on the Dolores Arena, certainly in some of those high... And, and Kate Bush and yeah, Susie Sue and also Anya. Uh, yeah. She's a huge fan of Anya. Bjork, I think I heard Bjork, Bjork well, somewhere further down the line. Bjork, well. actually, yes. And I'm her favourite songwriter recently. of all time is... Uh, Paddy McLoon from Prefer Sprout, so she gets an extra star for me for that alone. Sean, <laughs> so we know she's you. getting one just for that, even if she <laughs> didn't make an album. Yeah. Uh, so is there a, is there a kind of a unity across the album musically and lyrically? Where does where's Caroline Polachek bringing us with Desire? I want to turn into you. I think there's an element of her displaying the best and worst of herself because there is an undercurrent of grief in the album as well because her father Mm. died from COVID in 2021, I think. So she's really just kind of letting the full force Mm. of what she's like um, come into the fore. And there's there's actually a great song. There's a lot of cool influences, absolutely, but there's a song called Blood and Butter, which pays homage to that very soft pop of 2000s, like Savage Garden and Donna Lewis and Natalie Imbruglia. So it, Mm. it kind of, it brings... What way they they might seem uncool and not great, but she brings it to a next level where it is actually quite um, an emotional connection that she has with these songs. Let's listen to a track called Sunset. So there it is. You both mentioned the the, the Spanish guitar song, and there it is yes, in, in the sunset, and the lovely rhythms that are in w- within the middle of all of that as well. So musically, you know that kind of diversity, because even within the two tracks that we've heard, there's quite a diverse, um, mm. quite a range of sounds there. That diversity across the album does it work overall for you, uh, Alan? Absolutely. I mean, I think she she makes this kind of organic sounding avant garde electronica. It's wonderfully kinetic mm. and kaleidoscopic. Uh, there's a lot of different moods uh, going on here. There's even a song with Grimes and Dido. And you can't think of two di- more different artists than Grimes and Dido, I suppose. Uh, yes. Were you happy to see Dido, Dido. there? Dido. Pardon? Were you happy to see Dido in this album? Well, no, album? I'm not usually happy to hear Dido, to tell you the truth, Sean, but she makes this work very well. And I think it's a sign of uh, Caroline Polachek's, you know, magpie tendencies, that she can bring two artists so different together and make it sound like uh, it, they were meant to be. And uh, it sounds like a Caroline Polachek song, does it? Very much so. Okay, Stars from you on this one. I give this a very solid four out of five. A very solid four out of five, and I see you nodding in agreement on this one, Louise. <laughs> oh yeah, four for me. But I'd say this is going to be an album of the year for yeah, so for, many yeah, people. Same yeah. Here. yeah, and it is that diversity across of that kind of range of styles that still ha- manages to hold itself Just, together. That's what she's works. She's so distinct it? and so unique. It's there is really no one else like her. 
All right. Let us, so, what was two fours? Was it? Yes, two fours for desire. I want to turn into you from Caroline. So dancing, dancing with the stars, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll be getting you to do. I should have got you to do a little dance along to that. However, let us move on now to the Vivian Lyon singer-songwriter Ron Sexsmith releasing album since 1991. 17th studio album is what we're getting in the Vivian Line, named after a route near his Canadian home. Uh, Vivian Line is what we're talking about, Louise, but as I said uh, in my initial introduction to albums, when we talk about a, a line and a railway line, there's going to be lots of metaphors in there, isn't there? Yeah, well, listen, this guy, Ron Sexsmith, he just keeps on going. And <laughs> I, myself and Alan were saying before, just how many times can you say, this is nice? <laughs> This is a nice time. Here's a man who's built a life that's so nice for himself. Mm. And like Damon Alburn, he doesn't have to leave his house far for much inspiration, but he gets such joy out of the small oddities of life. Mm. Yeah, and he lives in the opening track of the album where? A place called Love. Somewhere in the darkest night there's a place called Love. Out there where the hearths are bright is a place called love. Place called love. I know you'd want to be going there of a Friday night, wouldn't you? Up the Vivian line to a place called love. Although I did have to, I do have to admit, as I was listening to that, don't know if you remember the old Muppet song halfway up the staircase that that Kermit sang. You'd have to sing it for me, Sean. I couldn't be able to do that in the interest in the interest of the listenership. to the programme <laughs> however um, I, I could hear Kermit singing that and it would sound really schmalchy but Ron Sexsmith kind of keeps you you say yeah ok yeah, well, I want to go I, there I, with you Ron I call him uh, to paraphrase Donovan I call him mellow fellow uh, the usual words you'll see associated with him are McCartney-esque timeless and melancholic I mean yeah. He, he comes from that, you know, old tradition of classic songwriting. And I think, you know, 17 albums, he's he, he, half man, half melody, I, I, I think is the best way to, <laughs> to describe him. And he has been described that way. Yeah. He's much admired by the likes yeah. of Ray Davis and Elvis Costello and uh, Michael Bublé and Katie Malou have even co- covered his songs. He's one of these artists who's just been around forever. Uh, he's around since the, the early 90s. Mm. And he keeps putting out really beautiful quality music with this real winsome kind of heartbreak quality to it, but opt- optimistic at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting that you finish with optimistic there. Um, track six on this, this album is called Powder Blue, and I thought, God, is, he, is he touching it? Is he scratching a bit of a Morrissey in himself? <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's not quite as miserable as the average Morrissey song, but there's a little, there's a little touch of it in there. But what's misery to wrong Setsmith? It's just, you know, he finds, he just finds joy everywhere. And I just, there, there's a particular song that really struck a chord with mm. me and that was Barn Conversion. Oh, uh, which great. is The Kinks. The Kinks. It yeah. is The Kinks all over. And it's all about neighbours getting jealous because he's built a lovely barn for himself. <laughs> so if he's feeling <laughs> oh. sad elsewhere, he's got yeah. that big barn. All right, okay. <laughs> so he did an extension. <laughs> Let's have a listen. I was going to listen to Powder Blue. I might have listened to Powder Blue before the end. I, I listened to a barn conversion, a conversation I beg your pardon on the basis of what you've just said there, uh, Louise. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-
Yeah, the song is called Barn Conversion. Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, as I'm listening to it there, I'm saying, He's, he's actually singing there. Can you imagine if somebody said, oh, I've got a great new song called "My I'm Living in My New Extension. You'd say, are you really going to put that in the song? But he doesn't. Ron Sexsmith does that and gets away with it. Yeah, I'd love to spend a day in his head. It just it just must be sunshine and sunflowers mm. everywhere. Mm. Yeah, so he, he is pretty happy there. I'm, you know, I'm going to give a little uh, whack of powder, powder blue, blue because yeah. I'm, I'm convinced this is... This is miserable, Ron Sexsmith. So let's have a listen and see if see if Alan's already questioning my judgment. Here we go. Never. Thinking about a life I knew, how the skies to color cast a spell over you. Yeah, you see, yeah, it's and it's gorgeous, actually, yeah. isn't it? You know, and as we were listening to it there, the context is everything. Suddenly, the misery becomes it understandable, is a song about and the passing of a loved one. Yeah, and I think that Ron Saxman has a real gift for making what initially sound like very slight songs. Yeah, they have hidden depths. If you listen again to his songs, the, the hidden depths start. Emerging well, that's just that stage. idea of, you know, is it wrong to put a colour yeah. on this? And he calls it powder blue. And you think, God, that's, that's a lovely evocative. image. That's yeah. very evocative. Look, yeah. Lovely image. Right. Mm. OK. And I, um, well, no, I'll tell you about what one of our listeners said after you give your stars judgment. And she will either love you or hate you after this judgment, I would suggest. Louise. <laughs> I would give this three stars, but I'd mm. also love to see what Ron Sexsmith would sing if he saw an Amazon robot down the road. What would Ron Sexsmith sing if he were Damon Albert? Okay, and what are you thinking, Alan? Uh, well, I think he has this kind of puppyish quality. He's got this soulful, doleful thing going on. I give this a, a three and a half. And besides, Sean, anyone who write, has a song called Me, Myself and Wine is okay by me. <laughs> I'm afraid tonight there's not maybe a good name for a song. Um, I think Rona would be reasonably, or not, uh, Brona will be reasonably pleased with both of you. Love, love, love. Love Ron, she says. A real gent, Go, bro. says Brona. See him every time. All right, um, that is the final of our album this evening. The Vivian line from Ron Sexsmith. Desire, I want to turn into you from Caroline Polachek and Cracker Ireland about From Gorillas, where the other two that Louise Bruton and Alan Corr were speaking with me about this evening. And that is our lot for this Friday evening. Uh, Amandine Passa-Divine, Leah Murphy and Paula Shields were the researchers. Michelle Gibson was the broadcast coordinator. Mark McGrath was on sound this evening and tonight's programme was produced by Olin McGon. Back with you on Monday here on RT Radio 1 with you as usual on Sunday afternoon on RT Lake FM. Join me between 1 and 4 for some music there. But uh, in the meantime, stay tuned here. John Creedon will be with you after the news.